Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Welcome to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio, keeping you connected to your faith and your world. Teresa tackles the issues of faith and culture, the pro-life message, and media awareness. And now, here's Teresa Tamio. And here we are on October 30th, 2023, two more days in the month of October. Going by very quickly, this is a big week, of course, in the One Holy Catholic and Apostolic Faith. We have All Saints Day on Wednesday, a Holy Day of Obligation, All Souls Day on Thursday. And we'll be talking about that as we get closer to those celebrations and the days that are marked in the church for very specific reasons. Coming up in the program, we have got a lot to talk about. Let me tell you, starting off uh, with a very important discussion about what's happening in the Buckeye State, in the Ohio State election that's coming up very quickly. And this has to do with issue one. I was contacted by Laura Dorowski, and she's a wonderful pro-life advocate and speaker in Ohio, and she wants to share her own story because one of the things that's happening now, and you're probably very familiar with this because it's basically being trumpeted all over the country in various states, and unfortunately, my home state of Michigan, we lost the battle last year with Prop 3, but Issue 1 in Ohio is very similar. It's not exact, but it's very similar to what they pushed on us in Michigan in Proposal 3. I mean, all kinds of extremes when it comes to abortion and it comes to so-called transgender surgery, birth control, pushing out parents. It's, it's really ridiculous. And one of the big things that they're doing to scare people, and they did the same thing, used the same scare tactics in Michigan with the media and the gazillion dollars they had pumped into ads on radio and TV and online and Facebook posts and tweets and everything else, is they're trying to convince people, as they unfortunately did in the state of Michigan, that if the issue doesn't pass... If abortion isn't enshrined in the Ohio Constitution, then women are literally going to be dying on the streets, basically, because they're not going to get the care that they need if they have a problem pregnancy. Well, Laura defies that because she suffered a miscarriage underneath the heartbeat law in Ohio and received good medical intervention and attention. And she says the backers of the amendment, of course, are claiming this will disappear unless we enshrine a right to abortion in their state constitution. So she joins us at 15 minutes past the hour, Laura Dorowski. And then an interesting interview with a young woman at Notre Dame University. She was, uh, actually her efforts were featured in a recent article in the Catholic News Agency. Uh, A very important story, Notre Dame students defend dignity and sanctity of women ahead of campus drag show. And this was posted last Thursday on, or was it last Friday, October 27th, on Catholic News Agency. Two seniors at the University of Notre Dame leading a group of concerned students in objecting to a university-sponsored drag show set to be held on campus as part of a one-credit course. In a letter to the editor published October 24th in the Observer Student Newspaper, seniors Madeline Stout and Merlot Fogarty said multiple students reach out to a priest who is a vice president of student affairs to object to the planned event, which would take place later this week, and it's supposed to follow a symposium on efforts to ban drag. The priest, in response, defended the course and the show as being protected under the principle of academic freedom. So it's going to be important to find out, in addition to this statement that was put in the Catholic News Agency story, has there been more from the university? Because the students are really, bless their hearts, strong in their faith, the majority of the students there, and are speaking out against this. So we'll talk with Merlot Fogarty 
and that comes up at about 39 minutes past the hour. And then wrapping up, as we always do on a Monday, with Gail Buckley and our scripture verse of the week. So what's the weather looking like across the country? Well, we have a strong front moving across the southern plains to the Ohio Valley. That's going to bring sub-freezing temperatures and frost and freeze conditions that could be serious enough to kill crops and other sensitive vegetation and possibly damage unprotected outdoor plumbing. So we've got this freeze going on, an early freeze. Of course, it's not even winter yet, but we're still feeling the early effects of it, apparently. Red flag and high wind warnings continue across much of the state of California, increasing critical fire weather concerns. So that's a look at what's happening weather-wise across the country. It's four minutes past the hour. It is October 30th, and there's a ton of news, a busy news day. So we need to get started to see what's happening in and around the world on a Monday. Here we go. The Pope has called for a total ceasefire in the Holy Land, addressing the faithful gathered in St. Peter's Square for his Angelus address yesterday. The Holy Father inviting everyone to continue to pray for the serious situation, he said, in Palestine and Israel. In particular, he asked that humanitarian aid be allowed to enter Gaza and that all hostages be freed. Meanwhile, Father Ibrahim Faltis, the vicar of the custody of the Holy Land in Jerusalem, whom the Pope cited on Sunday, thanked the Pope for calling a ceasefire in the Israel-Hamas war, saying no one has heeded the needs of the people of Gaza. President Biden, meanwhile, and Israeli Prime Minister Benjamin Netanyahu have been discussing efforts to locate and free the more than 220 hostages while stepping up the flow of humanitarian aid into Gaza. The White House says the two leaders spoke during a call yesterday in which Biden stressed the need to significantly increase assistance to meet the needs of Palestinian civilians. A member of the Senate Intelligence Committee says it's a reasonable concern, meanwhile, that families will never again see loved ones who were taken hostage by Hamas. The folks that are the families and the friends of these hostages, everyone has great compassion for them and pain for them. Speaking on CNN State of the Union, that's Republican Senator James Lankford of Oklahoma, who says it's a challenge to determine the best way to free Israeli and American hostages. Israel says Hamas is holding nearly 230 hostages and has freed only four of them. Two elderly Israeli women were released on Monday, but their husbands were still being held. And again, Israeli President Benjamin Netanyahu announcing over the weekend that Israeli defense forces were expanding ground operations in Gaza. A top White House official says there's a real risk of the Israel-Hamas war escalating into even a bigger conflict. We will continue to talk to our Israeli counterparts. We'll continue to ask hard questions about uh, how they are thinking this through, how they are proceeding. Appearing on ABC's This Week, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan noting the U.S. is working with other countries in the region in an effort to keep the conflict from expanding. He said the U.S. will continue to respond to attacks from Iran-backed groups and take every measure to protect American forces in the Mideast. And the new Speaker of the House says a standalone funding bill for Israel will go on the House floor this week. Louisiana Republican Mike Johnson, his comments were echoed by Texas Republican and House Foreign Affairs Committee Chair Michael McCall. Because the need is so urgent now in Israel, start with Israel first and then deal with the other as a separate measure. We'll have that on the House floor this week. Johnson saying he did call the president to separate bills to provide aid for Israel and Ukraine when he met with him last week. The Biden administration is proposing again a combined $100 billion aid package that includes both Israel and Ukraine. 
The Vatican releasing the Synod on Synodality's summary report over the weekend outlining key proposals discussed during the early month-long assembly's confidential conversations. According to Catholic News Agency, the highly anticipated text was approved paragraph by paragraph on October 28th, so yesterday, or actually on Saturday, by a vote of 344 synod delegates, which for the first time included women and other non-bishops as voting members. More than 80 proposals, CNA says, were approved in the vote, including establishing a new baptismal ministry of listening and accompaniment, initiating discernment processes regarding the decentralization of the church, and strengthening the Council of Cardinals into a synodal council at the service of the Petrine ministry. Absent from the summary report are definitive conclusions on same-sex blessings, women's ordination, and a handful of other hot-button topics that have drawn the lion's share of media attention during this year's gathering. Local police in Maine sent a check on the man in Maine, as Chris Caraggio tells us, who killed 18 people in that mass shooting just weeks before it happened. CNN reports that the Maine National Guard asked local police to check on Robert Card after a soldier felt he may snap and commit a mass shooting. Officers tried to contact Card on September 16th, a little over a month before the incident took place. Card was found dead of a self-inflicted gunshot wound Friday night. A man is in custody after 15 people were shot at an unsanctioned Halloween party on the city of Chicago's west side. Police say that suspect was thrown out of a party being held at a business in the 1200 block of South Pulaski Road in Chicago. Victims and witnesses did relate that the suspect was ejected from the party and he came back a few minutes later with a gun and began to shoot. The shooter was arrested a short time later. All of the victims are hospitalized, including two in critical condition. City officials say the business previously received a cease and desist order and citations for operating without proper licensing. And former Vice President Mike Pence is dropping out of the presidential race for next year. So after much prayer and deliberation, I have decided to suspend my campaign for president effective today. Pence made the unexpected announcement during his speech at the Republican Jewish Coalition in Las Vegas over the weekend. He told the audience, it's not my time. He did not endorse any other candidates during the announcement on Saturday. And the initial autopsy results for actor Matthew Perry are inconclusive and pending a toxicology report. The friend star found dead in his hot tub at his home in Los Angeles on Saturday of an apparent drowning at the young age of 54. Further investigation is being requested with the cause of death listed as deferred, according to a report released by the L.A. County Medical Examiner's Office. Meanwhile, Phil Farrar tells us the parents of the friend star are remembering their son. Perry appeared to have drowned in a jacuzzi at his home on Saturday. His family issued a statement that read, We are heartbroken by the tragic loss of our beloved son and brother. It continued, Matthew brought so much joy to the world, both as an actor and a friend. You all meant so much to him, and we appreciate the tremendous outpouring of love. Perry, who played Chandler Bing on the TV series Friends, was 54. The UAW and Solantis reaching a tentative contract deal, leaving just General Motors as a target of the week's-long strike. The UAW says a deal with Solantis is very similar to what Ford agreed to with a 25% pay raise over four years 
And the UAW president, Sean Fain, says the 43,000 union members working for Stellantis still need to ratify the deal. Meanwhile, Fain is urging, as you just heard, the Ford workers to approve that tentative contract agreement. On Facebook Live last night, he said he wholeheartedly endorses a deal, again, that raises pay by 25% over the four years of the measure. As you know, we have reached a historic tentative agreement at Ford. Our job is to rule the details out so you can make an informed decision. The membership is the highest authority in our union, and you will decide what happens next. It also restores the cost of living adjustment that disappeared in 2009. Every UAW member will receive a $5,000 ratification bonus as well. The U.S. Department of Justice is awarding $2.5 million, as Brad Ford tells us, to three nonprofits in western Washington state that help with the human trafficking issue. The groups work to prevent human trafficking for sex or labor. Innovations Human Trafficking Collaborative works in the South Sound region to train law enforcement and provide mental health support to victims. Seattle's International Rescue Committee offers mental health and psychosocial support to victims. And the Northwest Immigrant Rights Project provides legal services to human trafficking survivors. Mayor Adams' administration in New York is trying to expand, as Scott Pringle tells us, the reach of New York City's emergency alert system. That's 11 years after Superstorm Sandy. Mayor Adams is announcing that New Yorkers can now sign up for the Notify NYC alert system by simply texting Notify NYC in their preferred language. He's trying to make it easier and hopes to get more New Yorkers on the alert system. Previously, folks had to go online or call 311 or download the NYC Notify app. Adams made the announcement yesterday, the 11th anniversary of Superstorm Sandy. The cost of Halloween candy, it's up 13% this year, according to the U.S. Bureau of Labor and a UCLA supply chain expert. Candy is more expensive because of the rising cost of ingredients in labor. The average U.S. household is expected to spend about $35 on candy this year. That's up from $30 in years past. And speaking of candy, today we celebrate the small tricolored pyramid-shaped candy that was once called, as Brie Tennis shares with us, chicken feed. It was created in 1898 in America and morphed over the years into what we now know as candy corn. And Americans love it, eating 35 million pounds of it every year. AlwaysTheTreat.com says 51% of us eat them whole. That's the right way. 31% eat the tip and 18% start at the bottom and work their way up. The TSA is asking travelers to beware of what's in their bags when they pass through airport security this Halloween. And the TSA spokesperson, Lisa Faberstein, says passengers, young and old, can fly in costume if they choose, but they should keep costume makeup to a minimum so security agents can still recognize them at the identification checkpoint. They should be ready to remove any Halloween masks or avoid wearing it altogether. And large bags of candy should be removed from carry-on bags and placed in their own bin. And the spokesperson also says costume props such as hatchets, pitchforks, or brooms, yes, people do try to get through security with those kinds of things, must be placed in check bags. However, replicas of explosives, including fake grenades, are prohibited in both carry-on and check bags. And finally, in our new segment, Late 19, on October 30th, 2023, also kind of just in time for Halloween, Mark Mayfield tells us legendary magician David Copperfield is announcing his newest trick. During a weekend interview on Today, Copperfield revealed that he has plans to make the moon disappear. He said it's taken 30 years of work to develop the illusion. Practice runs of the trick are apparently going well, and he claims people have reported seeing strange things in the sky at night all around the country. 
Copperfield has previously made the Statue of Liberty appear to vanish and has seemingly walked through the Great Wall of China. So there you go. It is a Monday morning, October 30th, 2023. Hope it's going well for you. When we come back, a very important discussion on the reality of the situation in Ohio and other states that are trying to get past these ridiculously extreme measures when it comes to abortion and other things pertaining to below-the-belt issues. We're talking to a pro-life speaker who wants to share her own experience. One of the big arguments of the left, and it's not even based on reality, is that if issue one fails in Ohio, and this is the same thing they tried to pull in Michigan last year with Prop 3, if it fails, then women are going to be suffering terribly because they won't have the proper medical treatment available. That's a complete lie. A complete lie. And how does our guest know that? She'll tell us up next. It is a Monday morning. We're also going to talk to a brave Notre Dame student speaking out against an upcoming drag show and course on dressing drag on campus and the response she's getting uh, from the university. And then we'll wrap up with a verse of the week from Gail Buckley, as we always do, our scripture verse of the week on a Monday morning. It is a Monday. You're listening to EWTN, and we'll be right back. He is only one of four popes honored as the great. Matthew Bunsen and the Doctors of the Church. St. Leo I was pope at a time when Roman civilization was being overrun by barbarian armies. He stood as a light in the darkness and even saved the city of Rome from destruction by Attila and the Huns. Leo died in 461. For more about the Doctors of the Church, visit doctorsofthechurch.com. Fact versus fiction. You really have to cut through the clutter when it comes to these different organizations such as Planned Parenthood and other pro-abortion groups pushing this nonsense, whether it's in Ohio or whether, for example, they're still pushing more. As if they didn't get enough last year in Michigan with Proposal 3, they still want more, believe it or not. So what's the real story? Those who are supporting these awful measures that basically are going to enshrine abortion into more state constitutions if they pass, one of the things they're claiming, if it doesn't pass, that women will suffer all kinds of problems because medical help won't be available if they suffer a miscarriage or uh, another uh, problem during a pregnancy. Well, that's certainly not true. It wasn't true in Michigan. It's not true in Ohio. And who knows that firsthand? Well, our guest is Laura Dorowski, and she is a Respect Life Coordinator for her parish, Holy Family, in Steubenville. And she is speaking out about this because of her own experience. Laura, thank you so much. I mean, this is not an easy thing for you to talk about. But let's go back to what they're pushing in Ohio. Just refresh our listeners' uh, minds and, and so they know what's happening, because this is not only in Ohio. I mean, right now the big focus is on Ohio, but they're trying to do this in as many states as possible, correct? That's correct, Teresa. Uh, The amendment that they are pushing in Ohio is very extreme. First of all, it is a constitutional amendment. This isn't regular legislation. This would go into our state constitution if it passes. And it would create a right to, quote, make and carry out one's own reproductive decisions for every individual. They don't specify women. They Mm -hmm. don't specify how old you need to be. And they don't define what a reproductive decision is. So that will ultimately come down to a judge to decide what is a reproductive decision that, for example, my six-year-old has the right to make. Wow. Um, It also, yes, it also uh, states that the state shall not directly or indirectly burden, penalize, prohibit, interfere with, or discriminate, (laughs) discriminate against either an individual's voluntary exercise of this right 
or a person or entity that assists an individual exercising this right. So what that means is that it will make it almost impossible to regulate not just the abortion industry, but anyone who is connected in any way to quote-unquote reproductive decisions. And it makes it so much easier to coerce women and girls into abortions. It also would end up uh, nullifying our parental consent laws that we currently have in the state because this is the language that is being used in other states to say that parental notification laws burden girls who are seeking abortions. And in our case, it would be for more than that. Um, We are concerned that this could mean that an 8-year-old who gets uh, puberty blockers from their school counselor the law would protect the school counselor who does that behind the parent's back, and the parents wouldn't even have the right to know that it's happening because mm-hmm. that would be a burden on the 8-year-old's right to carry out his reproductive decisions. And finally, it would allow for very painful late-term abortions in, a, in Ohio right now. We have a post-viability abortion ban. It's only permitted after 22 weeks uh, to prevent a serious physical harm to the mother. Um, but under this uh, amendment, they redefined fetal viability to be determined on a case-by-case basis by the treating physician, which would be the abortionist. Wow. And, yes, and under no, under no cases can we um, prohibit abortion after fetal viability if the physician, the abortionist, thinks it is necessary to protect the pregnant patient's life or health, and of course they don't define health. We already have a very well-fleshed-out medical emergency exception in Ohio state law to protect women, but this would broaden the definition of health to include just about anything, because we know that because that's what the judicial precedence is. Mm -hmm. So it would effectively legalize elective abortions through all nine months of pregnancy, and there is nothing that we could do to prohibit the most painful forms of abortion late in pregnancy at all. It is incredibly extreme and dangerous, and frankly, I have never seen a scarier piece of legislation in my life. Well, I mean, it's pretty close to what we saw in Michigan, so we, 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 we feel your pain, basically, because I'm telling you, this is exactly what they want. I mean, yours, as I think, is a little different. There's a little minutia in there. There might be a little different, but overall, they're trying to take this and, and you know, basically plaster it over in, in as many states as possible. So, Laura, before we get to your story, you may have to do your story after the break. We have another segment with you. What's it look like right now in Ohio? What are the polls saying? And I know your governor has come out in supporting the pro-life community, so has that made an impact on things? I think it has. We are very, very grateful to the governor and his wife for speaking out against this and drawing attention to how extreme this amendment is. Right now, we are a little bit behind in the early voting and the polls. However, we do have hope because it looks like the other side's um, progress is sort of slowing down or stalling and ours is continuing to increase. So we are hopeful that we will be able to get that uh, 50% plus one majority of popular votes that we need to stop this from passing. And how is it going on the parish level as a Respect Life Coordinator at a local parish? How's that going in terms of the outreach, do you think? I can't speak for every parish in Ohio, right. but um, for my own parish, uh, we are very fired up. Um, we are uh, very much aware of what is happening, and everybody at the parish is uh, is very fired up about it, and they have really come together to do what we can to uh, stop this from happening. 
Yeah, it's just it, it would, if people need to stop and really think about this and read it and understand because it can be very confusing and overwhelming for people with the language that they're using because it's so generic. And then the scare tactics, which you're going to talk about briefly, you have about a minute. Just give us a little snippet of your story and then we'll continue it after the break. But I just want you to kind of give a highlight and then we'll ask some more questions and, and dive into it more deeply after the break. Sure. I had a missed miscarriage last year when our state heartbeat law was in effect. And if there was any truth to the lie that uh, that miscarriage care is not available when abortion is restricted, then I would have been in the most dangerous place in the country. I was in a state where there were heavy abortion restrictions at a Catholic hospital with a pro-life doctor. I needed both medical and surgical intervention. So and you got it. Hold that rumor, thought. That's my check. fault. I brought up the question too soon. But, Laura, we're going to take a break. I apologize. I just wanted to give a highlight. We're talking with pro-life speaker and leader Laura Dorowski, and she's with the Respect Life Office of her parish in Steubenville, Ohio. More on her important story when we come back and why people need to vote against Issue 1 in Ohio. Stay tuned. Seven minutes past the hour, 928 on the East Coast, 828 central part of the country, and of course 628 on the West Coast. Thanks for tuning in whatever time zone you're in, whether you're in the United States or around the globe. You are listening to the Global Catholic Radio Network, EWTN. Check us out online, EWTN.com. We're having a conversation, a very important one, with Laura Dorowski. She is the Respect Life Coordinator and Leader at her parish, Holy Family, in Steubenville, Ohio, talking about Issue 1. And Laura, I'm sorry I didn't give you enough time, but we have another nine minutes. So you were saying that you were in a dangerous place with your situation medically, but you got the help you needed. And this is what people are trying to scare people with, that you're not going to get the help you needed if you have a miscarriage or if you have some other problem with a pregnancy. So share a little bit more about your situation. That's right, Teresa. Last summer, July of 2022, I went to my 14-week prenatal checkup, and I was excited because I was going to get to hear my baby's heartbeat for the first time. I had seen it on ultrasound. I hadn't heard it yet. But when they went to check, they couldn't find the heartbeat. And they sent me into the ultrasound, and that's where I learned that our baby had passed about two weeks prior. Mm. And I was going through uh, what's known as a missed miscarriage, where the baby has passed, but the mother has no symptoms of a miscarriage. Um, So... Uh, Of course, I was immediately hit with intense grief, and I spoke with the doctor who went through all the options that we had, and my husband and I decided, because of how far along I was, that it would be a little bit too risky to wait and see if I could um, deliver the baby on my own without medical intervention. So we decided to be induced at the hospital uh, with Cytotec, and... We were, and I was able to deliver our daughter, and we had a beautiful hour to say goodbye to Uh her um, before things started to go wrong. I started to bleed very heavily and uh, pass large blood clots, and it turned out that uh, the placenta was just not coming. So I had to have an emergency DNC in order to remove the placenta and stop me from hemorrhaging. And at no time during any of this experience did my doctor say, oh, I think I need to check the law first, make sure we have this new heartbeat law, we're not clear about it or anything. No, he just said this is what we can do, and he got me the care that I needed, and I'm alive and well today because of that. 
um, there was no legal problem at all. Are you able to share this? Because this is super important. You were in a very serious medical situation. I was, yes. Um, uh, if I hadn't had the interventions that I did, I could have bled to death, frankly. Um, so if there was any truth to the rumors that abortion restrictions endanger women who are going through miscarriages like I was, then I would have been in the most dangerous possible place in the country because not only was the heartbeat law in effect, but I was at a Catholic hospital, and as you know, Catholic hospitals do not do abortions. And my doctor was personally pro-life himself, so I would have had, if there was any truth to the rumor that those things could endanger women, I would have had all of those against me. But fortunately, there is no truth to that rumor. It is a complete lie. And my doctor in the hospital knew what they needed to do. They knew what they, how to treat me, and they had no problems doing so. And I know that the pro-life community in Ohio is working so hard to get the word out, but are they making sure that, that people like you are, are having an opportunity to tell your story, and, and not just, for example, on, on radio shows, but also maybe in, uh, in media outlets in terms of commercials and, and you know, ads or whatnot? Because this is super, super important. People need to know fact versus fiction. It is so, so important. I spoke with a pro-life member of my parish just a couple of weeks ago who was concerned that if issue one did not pass, that women like his wife who had gone through miscarriages might die because the other side's lies have been so pervasive and effective um, that even pro-life people are afraid that we need this right to abortion in order to protect women like me, and it is absolutely false. Protect Women Ohio, which is the coalition of pro-life groups right. in Ohio who have come together to fight this. They are uh, doing what they can to get the word out. They do have commercials out uh, debunking this myth. Um, you can watch them online. And the Catholic Conference of Ohio as well has a few videos. I'm in one of them. But they also have doctors speaking about care for women, not just for miscarriages, but ectopic pregnancies and other medical emergencies and why that care is not threatened at all in Ohio. Yeah, this is just so crucial. Do you know, and you maybe don't have a specific number, but a big problem we had in Michigan last year was that we were spent outspent big time. Any idea what, how much money they're pouring into your state? Because what we found in the research that we did, whether it was a Michigan Catholic Conference or Right to Life in Michigan, that the majority of the funding, Laura, and I don't know if it's true for Ohio, but it was in Michigan's case, the majority of the funding, because the stakes are so high for the pro-aborts, was coming from outside of Michigan. That is the case here as well, and I don't have the total numbers in front of me, but I know that tens of millions of dollars are being poured into this from outside sources. Um, I just heard recently that the guy who invented partial birth abortions just put $100,000 into the campaign to get issue one passed. And honestly, that's just a small, uh, that's a fraction, small, small, tiny fraction of the money that's being spent here. It's tens of millions of dollars. So... We are uh, being outspent, and it is an uphill battle. It's not hopeless by any means, but they are pulling out all the stops to try to get this passed. So what can those of us both who, who, for the people who live in Ohio, such as yourself, for the people outside of Ohio, what can we do? Obviously pray, offer this up in prayer, but what else can we do to help this situation, do you think? Thank you for asking that. First of all, if you live in Ohio, vote no. 
uh, early voting is open now. You can go to vote.ohio.gov to find your polling place. Don't let something come up on Election Day that keeps you from the polls. If at all possible, go ahead and vote right now. But if you can't make it until November 7th, make sure you get there. Make sure you vote no. Make sure you're telling your friends about this. If you live in Ohio, another thing you can do is door knocking. You can go to createdequal.org slash issue one. That's one, the number. It's not spelled out. And sign up to do door knocking to help get out the vote. We're in the last week. We're in the final push, but we are trying to push as hard as we possibly can. And wherever you live or if you're homebound, uh, another thing you can do that is very helpful is phone banking. You can go to the same website to sign up for that, createdequal.org slash issue one, to call people in Ohio to remind them to get to the polls, to get out and vote no on issue one. And then, as you mentioned, prayer. We are nine days out from mm. Election Day, so it's the perfect time to start a novena. And um, those of us in Ohio are in the middle of a 54-day rosary novena. For these last nine days, we are praying the glorious mysteries every day. So everyone around the world is welcome to join us in that or pray a novena of your own. Ask for the intercession of St. John Paul II, St. Gianna Mola, um, St. Gerard, all of our wonderful... St. Gerard, I was going to say St. Gerard, too, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah. Ab- absolutely. We have um, so many wonderful uh, brothers and sisters in heaven that we can call on to intercede for us. And I would please ask all of your listeners to lift up our state in prayer. Amen. Laura, thank you. Thank you for the courage to share your story, which isn't easy, and your grief. But thank you also for your determination to make a difference here and, and to use your story and your experience as a Romans 8.28 situation. We're using it for good in terms of raising awareness on the <laughs> endless issues with issue one, pun intended. Vote no. More information on that. We'll put the links to the different sites that Laura mentioned on our Catholic Connection Archive section. We'll be right back. Thirty-eight minutes past the hour. Students at Notre Dame. You know, there's so much good. I know there's some negative stories, including this one, which is very um, sad. But it's it's great when you have these students who are willing to stand up for the truth. But don't forget, there's a lot of good going on at the University of Notre Dame. They have a wonderful cultural program, which brings in great pro-life and uh, you know pro-truth speakers. And and so there's also a lot of good. And I know a lot of young people that go to Notre Dame and are very dedicated to their faith and love the Lord and Our Lady, including this young woman that's on the phone with us right now. And uh, her comments were included in a powerful story on this that Catholic News Agency posted last week, Notre Dame Students Defend Dignity and Sanctity of Women Ahead of a Campus Drag Show. So, Merlot, thanks for joining us, Merlot Fogarty. Tell us about the developments. You actually put out a letter and reached out to university officials about this. Thanks for joining us. Just give us kind of a quick summary, if you could. Yes, absolutely. So um, there is a one-credit course being taught by a professor on campus in the film, television, and theater department, and the course is covering the history of drag. And so at the beginning of the semester, our independent Catholic student newspaper, the Irish Rover, um, interviewed this professor and ended up um, asking her about what the, the conclusion of the course was going to be, and she she solidified the uh, rumors that there was going to be a drag show hosted on November 3rd. And so since then, posters have shown up around campus. Basically, um, three drag artists are going to be performing. One of them is Blair St. Clair, 
and um, two others less famous, but drag artists nonetheless. And they will be having a performance open to anyone in the Notre Dame community. So it's not just for the class. And so I'm, in, I'm deeply involved in the Catholic community at Notre Dame. And I think that a drag show is absolutely not meant to be something hosted on a Catholic university campus. So I sent an email to our vice president of student affairs, Father Jerry. Um, we have a good relationship just because I've been involved in a lot of the pro-life work that he has helped us with, has done. Um, just expressing my concern and also asking how this had anything to do with um, academics or um, discussion, teaching people about the truth and what um, human sexuality and human dignity are. And basically it's all being put under the umbrella of academic freedom because it's relating to this class, even though nothing that's being used to advertise this show has anything to do with this drag class. So not really sure how, how this has anything to do with academic freedom because it seems to me like an activist move. Yeah. Now, in terms of, in addition to the response from, I think it's Father Olinger, he's the person that to whom you um, reached out, with whom you reached out, has there been any other response from officials at the university in terms of how this is even acceptable? And, and a university that is named after Our Lady and the dignity that she's given, with all the new work that's been done on that beautiful statue, I mean, it just seems so, I mean, it's such contrast, Merlot, to, what's, to what the university is supposed to stand for. Right. Um, so the email campaign that myself and um, a couple of other students started has basically a template email that you can send to Father Jerry and also our university president, Father Jenkins, and the people who are in charge of and co-sponsoring this event. And so the office of the president has now created a like automatic response that comes to people who email. We're able to see it just because we're able to see everyone who's emailed. We actually just this morning hit 1,000 people who have emailed all of these university administrators and asking them to, to cancel the show. Um, and the automatic response now says that they're taking people's um, thoughts into consideration um, and basically just cites the, the academic freedom clause that they're, they're using this, uh, to put this under, which says that any any event that has to do with the research or presentation of a class um, is up to the discretion of a university official. But this is contrary to what before was our academic freedom policy, which has been our policy since 2006, um, which I know a lot about just fighting other controversies at Notre Dame. But whenever um, an event addresses any controversial issue or any sort of provocative thing that has to do mm -hmm. with the, what Catholic tradition says, the Catholic tradition has to be presented at the event. And so this is new, this is updated, this new freedom of expression statement that they're using as their academic freedom policy is different and it doesn't say anything about presenting what the Catholic Church teaches and the truth about human sexuality. See, that was my next question. So they're not going to allow for uh, the truth of the matter, and not just an opposing view. We're not just talking about opinions here. We're talking about biological fact and Catholic teaching, truth and Catholic teaching. Right, right, exactly. And so even if the, the, the line is even um, some views expressed may be disagreeable or make some uncomfortable, um, it's still in accord with Catholic teaching to allow academic freedom wholly and entirely. 
And I just think that's completely antithetical to the, the idea of a university. We're supposed to be teaching the truth. We're supposed to be educating people. And instead, we're solidifying this perverted and disordered ideology, gender ideology, that, that's not leading anyone towards the truth or, or actually the authentic um, idea of womanhood and femininity. Exactly. And male and female complementarity. We can go on and on. Merlot, thank you for your courage. We're talking with student Merlot Fogarty. Any idea in terms of, uh, have you heard from alumni? Because I'm sure there's a lot of faithful alumni who are upset about this. Absolutely. Yeah, I've received tons of emails from alumni um, from like the, the 60s to um, people who graduated in um, 2020. And it's been great. It's been great to receive um, so much support. I actually haven't received any negative feedback. Everyone who's reached out to me has, has said that they do think that hosting this is an activist move and that it doesn't need to be on on our ladies' campus. Um, furthermore, I, I know that a lot of alumni have on their own emailed the um, administrators asking them to cancel donors and all of that have been participating in this email campaign. I know people who have called and talked to the Office of the President, even even so, nothing nothing is being said other than this academic freedom statement, and they're still continuing to plan on hosting this event this Friday. And so it's coming up this week, right? That's it's on the schedule. Yes, yes, it is this week. It's at seven thirty on Friday. Well, we're going to hope and pray that your efforts to speak the truth in love uh, are going to make a difference. But thank you, even if it doesn't change, for your courage. And thank the alumni and all those who are speaking out for the truth. Will you keep us updated in terms of what's happening? Because I'd love to hear more about this. And one last question. I have to squeeze this in. Are you concerned, and I'm sure this would be a concern of yours, that if this is allowed to happen, that this is opening the door for other types of things, similar type of activities on campus? Absolutely. Um, it, it does look like it's going to happen. Um, we, we have a protest and a rosary planned um, during the event, so that way we're at least able to show the Catholic student support. But I do think that the fact that this drag show class sort of entered into the conversation as the reasoning behind why this show is allowed would allow a lot of other very controversial, provocative events to be allowed. Um, I actually participated in a book club through the gender studies department a couple years ago and there were a lot of calls for the university to start teaching porn literacy courses so if something like that were to happen what would stop the university from having a strip show what would stop them from bringing actual um people like working in the sex industry to come in, to come to campus so like this could just open up the doors for so many right. horrible things that that really have nothing to do with academics wow well, again, thank you for your courage and for speaking the truth. And please keep us posted on how it goes. We're really interested to hear a follow-up. We've been speaking with a very dynamic and outspoken and beautiful Catholic sister in the Lord, Merlot Fogarty, who's standing up for the truth and beauty of the human person, especially the dignity of women on her college campus regarding a drag show that is scheduled to take place this week at Notre Dame University. We'll be right back, 47 minutes past the hour, closing with our scripture verse of the week. Stay tuned. Busy Monday morning wrapping up with, as we do every Monday, Scripture Verse of the Week, Gail Buckley from Catholic Scripture Study International. Gail, what is our verse today, dear sister? Okay, it's from Luke uh, chapter 12, verse 51, and Jesus said, Do you think that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. 
For from now on, five and one family will be divided, three against two and two against three. And, of course, Jesus doesn't mean that he, it's his desire, you know, to turn family members against one another, but it's because of him that's what it happens. Um, you know, it's not unusual. I know, Teresa, for uh, people listening, I know that many people have, you know, kids that have gone off to college and lost their faith. You know, that happens a lot. And, you know, how many of us, you know, have had friends or relatives uh, or relatives join a cult or become Buddhist or whatever? And this causes division in families, and those who love Jesus and believe in him are often shunned or ridiculed by family yeah. members who don't. You know, I know it's true in my own family and also, mm-hmm. also my husband's family. You know, my, my husband's parents, they call themselves Christians, but... Um, you know, they're pro-choice, they celebrate gay marriage, and they don't think having sex outside of marriage is simple. And this drives my husband crazy, you know. He tried over and over to, you know, talk to them about it, and they don't want to listen. So he chooses not to be around them, which is sad, you know. And and then in my family, my brother, who also, like me, converted to um, Catholicism, he unfortunately converted because his third wife was Catholic, and... Um, you know, he, that's the only reason he converted. And then he married his fourth wife, who was also Catholic, and neither of them ever got an annulment. So when I tried to explain to them, you know, that they needed to get an annulment and they shouldn't be receiving communion, they flew into a rage, and they didn't want to have anything to do with me anymore. And they, they live in Texas, and I live in North Carolina, and they used to come every year for Christmas, and then they stopped coming. Um, but then, you know, my brother... Um, Sadly, years later, got pancreatic pancreatic cancer, and um, his wife worked, and he asked me to come and stay with him, which I did. I, I was with him for the last three weeks of his life, and, you know, I had a priest come in against the wishes of his wife and daughters, who were Catholic, but they didn't want a priest to come. And he heard his confession and gave him last rites and assured me that he died in a state of grace, which made me very happy. Mm. But. Yeah. You know, but these divisions, my, my oldest son is not a believer, and this causes strains in our relationship as well. So this is what Jesus meant, you know, believing in him and living according to his word will cause divisions in families. And, you know, my daughter-in-law also doesn't believe in Jesus, and if I start to talk about religion, she leaves the room. So I can certainly relate, and I know that your listeners can as well. And um yeah. I think at the end of the day that, that we have to remember, and this is what I found, because I was away from the church for a very long time, and I didn't want to talk right. to, any, to any or hear anything from anybody about God. I was very mad at God, even though I had no relationship with him. I blamed him for everything. Yeah. Isn't that kind of ridiculous? Totally ridiculous. <laughs> but I think if you just if you, if you you just keep the door open and love people now, you don't have to sit there and take insults and allow them to attack you or your faith. I'm not saying that. But again, right. I think if you just are kind to people and you right. can answer the questions if they ha- when they have them, because they will, because if they're living without God, eventually, and you and I know this, right? Eventually, mm-hmm. their life is going to go going to, to go in, in the wrong direction and things are going to start you know, falling apart, unraveling at some point, even if they don't want to admit it. So sooner or later, something is going to come up. And it's very interesting how they do turn to the people of faith and ask you for prayer you know, and, and be willing to do sure. that. I, I really just think... Just leaving the door open. I mean, and there's people in my family uh, to whom um, I don't speak anymore because they, they totally disagree with me on the abortion issue, and it's it's caused um, a real separation. They don't want to have anything to do with me. They don't want to talk about right. it. I leave the door open, and, I, you know, at my mother's funeral, I said, you know, um, we're a family. I love you. Love to talk. The door is always open and haven't heard anything, but I, le- I leave it open. 
And you can't sure, control like, that, but you, you cannot, you cannot you know, walk away from your faith simply because it's causing problems in your family or other relationships. That's right. Jesus comes first. And you're right. We need to leave the door open, and we love, and we pray. Prayer is so important. It's so powerful, and we pray for them. And you're exactly right, Teresa. People will come back to you later. I mean, I was one of those like you. I used to roll my eyes at people like myself, <laughs> like those religious fanatics. You know, I. Right. So we know, and and that was the first thing when I went through my conversion. I looked for things that people had given me, religious articles and things that I thought. I mean, at my wedding, people gave me some religious things. I thought that was a stupid gift. Why would I want that? You know, <laughs> not that mm-hmm. I was. I wasn't anti-God. I felt I was a Christian, but. You know, this religion and things like that didn't wasn't a big deal in my life at the time. But and but I come back to those people, you know, I came back to them and wanted to hear more and learn more. So we keep the door open. You're absolutely right. That's a thing to do. Pray yeah. and keep the door open and love people. Love them. Absolutely. Absolutely. Gail, always great to speak with you. Thanks for your honesty and your transparency, because I think sometimes folks think, that folks think that people in ministry have this perfect life and that everybody agrees uh, with them that everything's hunky-dory. <laughs> like, right. Uh-uh, so not wrong. the case, right? <laughs> That's no way. Well, listen, no you way. have a great week, my dear. Look, to look forward too. to talking to you next week and having you back on. Gail Buckley with Catholic Scripture Study International. And don't forget, all this is archived, every single segment, every single word. If you're interested in going back and listening or maybe sharing, especially for example, not only Gail's segment, but the segment we have with the pro-life spokesman from Ohio, very important. Talk to you tomorrow on a Tuesday on Domani. Have a great day. You've been listening to Catholic Connection with Teresa Tamio. Catholic Connection is a co-production of Ave Maria Radio and EWTN Radio and carried across the EWTN Global Catholic Radio Network. Our producer is Andrew Kruchek. For copies of this program or for more information, visit AveMariaRadio.net. That's A-V-E-MariaRadio.net. Thanks for listening and join us next time for another edition of Catholic Connection.